Welcome to the Andrew Young School Podcast, where each month we interview a member of the Andrew Young School community who embodies the school's charge to think ahead and innovate in the fields of criminal justice, economics, public management and policy, social work, and urban studies. This episode is the final installment of our three-part series celebrating the Andrew Young School's 25th anniversary. For this episode, we've convened a panel of faculty to discuss the current initiatives of the school and offer thoughts on its future. The panel consists of Thaddeus Johnson, Kathy Liu, and Jan Nyman. Their conversation is moderated by our Dean, Sally Wallace. Thank you and welcome everyone. This is a a special series that we're doing, as Taylor mentioned, and we're very excited um, to have you here. I thought I'd started off just by helping folks understand um, how you joined us and ask you, you know, in in a, a couple of minutes to tell us a little bit about yourselves. You know, when did you join the college and in what capacity? And Kathy, I'm going to let you start, if you don't mind. Sure. Thank you, Sally. Glad to be here. Um, I joined the school in 2008 after I received my PhD in planning from the University of Southern California. Um, Thinking back, I felt really fortunate to get this tenure-track job as an assistant professor um, in the department back then. Back when I was hired, the department is called the Department of Public Administration and Urban Studies. And soon after I joined, it changed to its current name um, of uh, Public Management and Policy. So I mainly teach in the planning and economic development concentration and do research around urban policy, uh, urban development, migration, um, the labor market, and things like that. So before I know it, I've been with the school for almost 13 years now. That, that's great. And maybe we can attribute the change from pause to PMAP to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thaddeus, can we turn it over to you? This sounds good. Hello, I'm Thaddeus Johnson. And I originally came here as a doctoral student. My wife and I uh, came here in 2016 as a doctoral student. Myself in uh, criminology and my wife in the Department of College of Education. Uh, and it's funny, even before I arrived here, uh, my uh, professor was assigned to my master's, was the first uh, PhD graduate of the program uh, I'm working at now uh, at AYS. And even uh, the department chair had connections with Georgia State. So as soon as I walked in, they were already pointing me towards Georgia State. So talking about stars aligning. And um, right now, I graduated uh, last August with my PhD in uh, criminology, criminal justice criminology. And now I'm a tenure track professor uh, in the same department. So somehow I fooled you all uh, into keeping us here. And it's just been a joy to kind of just uh, grow in that capacity and see all the changes that have been made, both physically, uh, I think in the spirit of how we do things, and also in, 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 in just how we are engaged in communities. Uh, it's been great being here. I can tell you, Thaddeus, it's been a joy for us to see how, how you have grown, and we're so so happy that uh, you're with us on, on faculty now. Exciting, thank you. Jan, I think you are one of the newest comers to our management group. Let me pass it off to you. Thank you, Sally. Uh, yeah, I joined in 2016. That's now five years ago. Uh, I was hired from the University of Amsterdam, where I was running a center for urban studies. And I was hired at GSU to set up and direct the new Institute for Urban Studies, uh, which is based, of course, in, in the Andrew Young School. But it's also strongly tied to several other units and programs in the in the university. Uh, I was tasked with the recruitment of new faculty, setting up research programs, and creating new curricular programs in urban studies. And it's only been five years, but uh, in some ways it feels like longer in terms of how many steps we've been able to take towards our goal. 
you all came to us at, at different points in time and different points in your, your careers as well. Um, if you think over that time, can you tell us a little bit about how you have seen the Andrew Young School grow? And you know, what, what are one or two big changes that you've noticed over the time that you've been with us? And Thaddeus, can I, can I pass it off to you? Yeah, it's great. And I, and I think, you know, and I just go ahead and, and kind of the elephant in the room, I'll point at the leadership, right? You know, uh, you came aboard, uh, Dr. Wallace came aboard as uh, I was a student and transitioning to this. And so, you know, we always talk about leadership as being a passing of the baton, right? It's not a starting over. And it seems like, you know, from uh, Dean Walker and the transition was smooth and it seems that there's been continuity in the direction. So that's hard. You don't really see that in organizations. And so I, I will uh, say that the leadership really, uh, has a lot to do with that. Uh, but uh, uh, one big thing that I, I have seen that's tied into that is diversity. Uh, you know, a lot of organizations talk about diversity. Uh, I remember when I first came here, I would look around uh, just in my department and my floor. I didn't see many students that looked like me. I didn't see many professors and faculty that looked like me. And that was just four years ago. And four years later, you see a commitment to diversity. And I don't just mean race and gender. I mean all types of backgrounds, international, different orientations, different lifestyles, different perspectives. And so that diversity is capital. And I, and I feel like that's something that I've seen change here at the uh, university outside of the investments that we made into facilities, we made these investments into the people, how we recruit people. And uh, I think I'm a testament of, of right now of, of those opportunities and being able to see that growth and, 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 and how much more comforting it is for someone like me who comes in and, and, and don't see people that look like me uh, and then is able to see that commitment. I mean, that speaks volumes, uh, not even to mention the perimeter campus, right? how we have made a commitment to community, a commitment to learning, an opportunity. And so for me, those are some of the things that I've seen. Well, it's it's um, wonderful that, that you know, you've seen change and we know that we have a lot more work to do, but um, really appreciate the, the support of all of our faculty and students and moving us in the right direction. Kathy, how about you? How, how When you reflect, what, what changes have you seen? Yeah, I really felt like USPS has just expanded so much uh, between the time I first got here and now. Uh, I remember, I think when I first got here, we have two departments um, and uh, I think also a few research centers. But right now, um, not only does it have more departments, right? We have criminal justice and social work and urban studies institute, but also we just have more um, new research centers, initiatives, um, as that was mentioned, diversity of faculty, of students, um, research areas, various forms of engagement, right, uh, with different types of organizations, programs, nationally, internationally. So I th- just think that in general, the school is is a, is a lot bigger and stronger now as it's compared to uh, 13 years ago. I just feel like when I walk into the elevator and can't, can't tell who is who anymore. <laughs> um, that's why I know that we definitely have a lot more colleagues and um, and students than we used to have. And just a kind of outreach, the, the presence, right, that we continue to have, not only academia, but also um, in practice, in the community, in the Atlanta region and beyond. I think it that's just continues to grow. Yeah. And how about your perspective on this? Yeah, well, I think, well, well so it hasn't been that long yet, but uh, I did have the impression that uh, the school was somewhat siloed when I first arrived. Uh, and I think I've seen some of the 
the barriers between the different units come down, which I think is a very good thing, obviously, with, with urban studies being the very interdisciplinary field that it is. And I, and I think some of that flows, some of these changes that have occurred flow from some important school-wide initiatives that, that have shaped up in very recent years, particularly those focused on the changing role of public policy in a digital world. Uh, the importance of data analytics, and because these are issues that cut across all programs, right? And and uh, particularly in the past year or so, despite COVID, uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, for example, recent engagements of Urban Studies, the Urban Studies Institute, with colleagues in social work and economics. So I think that's on the increase, and I think for a public policy school, particularly, that's just really important that we galvanize around some of the main themes that, that the world is facing these days. I'd like to turn toward your areas of expertise. So if you think of um, research that's done in your units, either you personally or you and your colleagues, um, what, what direction is that, that research going uh, and, and how do you incorporate that into your teaching moving into the future? things changing. We know modalities have changed, but what about subject matter or you know, the, the most important issues that you see? And Jan, I'm going to put you back on the spot if you don't mind. No, no, that, that's fine. Well, you know, I think we, we uh, cover quite some uh, a range of issues in our research and teaching. Uh, but your question makes me think about the, say, the, the, the big challenges of this time, you know, that, that we're looking at and that we will be uh, taking into more consideration, that we'll be adjusting to. In the immediate future, I think there's, when it comes to cities, there's a big question as to whether the negative impact of COVID on central cities will be reversed or not, right? So, so in other words, will central cities return to the high density activity that they used to have or not? And, and it's really not clear where exactly that is going. And similarly, in terms of the COVID impact, how its negative impact on different population groups can be mitigated. Uh, Sometimes that goes through the workforce, sometimes that goes other ways, uh, but not everybody has been impacted in the same way, obviously. And there's been a lot of inequity created in the process. Now, in the longer run, if you step back from that and from the whole COVID situation for a moment, the, the overall, the growing inequities within cities and the imbalance between urban and rural areas is, is uh, you know, th- these are going to need to be addressed because they're creating different and very polarized worlds, uh, economically, culturally, and politically. Uh, so I think we, we probably have not been paying enough attention to these issues, but, but we will definitely have to. Another long-term challenge, in my view, it revolves around questions of the sustainability of our cities. Uh, you know, what kind of policies will we need to make them environmentally sustainable and more resilient to what we call systemic shocks, whether this is in the realm of public health, as we've seen, uh, or the economy, or ecolog- ecological concerns. I think these are some of the big issues that are coming at us. Yeah, and, and as being part of downtown ourselves, we're going to be right in the middle of a lot of that, aren't we? Yeah, isn't that right? And and it'll be very interesting just looking out of our windows to see how things will return to normal or not. Uh, you know, the, will the offices be used as much, offices around us, I mean, right? Uh, corporate offices be used as much as they were in the past? Will retail come back or not? Uh, what will be the 
you know, what, what will the streets feel like in terms of people coming back or not? Uh, so that'll be just really interesting to see. And it goes to one of the core questions in urban studies and how cities work that have to do all have to do with densities and economies of scale and so on. So it's it's important and it's also interesting. Yep. And, and exactly the subject matter for a policy school, I think, with the disciplines that we have. Absolutely. Kathy, how about from your perspective? Yeah, um, this is this is a very good question. I just feel like the... Um, now, really, the changing economy, uh, evolving and the changing economy and the development of, of technology, I think will continue to shape our society and also our research and teaching activities. Uh, I mean, increasingly, we see that jobs today are different from jobs about uh, 50 years ago, right? Whereas maybe 50 years ago, you have a stable job, you have full benefits, right? You're in the middle class, you're a good living, and all is good. But increasingly, we see that, that we have so many different types of jobs, right? The, the development of technology displays some workers, create, create new jobs, and also uh, requires new skills for certain jobs. So we do see all sorts of different work arrangements, what we call flexible arrangements, alternative work arrangements, arrangements, um, the gig economy, and all these new forms. But so uh, as much as, you know, they create different pathways for workers, it also creates different challenges for public policy in terms of to the, the stability of these jobs. Do they have benefits? Um, do they have health care? And, and so on and so forth. So to me, I think a lot has changed, but we are still need to focus on the same fundamental questions, which if I want to term it, I would call it opportunity and access. And meaning that in a changing economy and society, how do we still uh, create opportunities and how do we still provide access to workers with different skills for different types of communities, uh, rural areas versus uh, urban areas, and so on and so forth. Such access and opportunity also exist in many different forms. Uh, recently, I've been looking at the concept of inclusive development a lot. Um, and, and one kind of um, framework that I really liked in inclusive development, divided into three parts, spatial access, social access, and economic access. Um, so we can really think that it, it encompasses a lot of uh, different areas. So And that's what some of our faculty in the department are doing. They are looking at different aspects of access and representation. Uh, for example, in the schools, right, in the classrooms, how are these uh, representation and diversity being reflected? Uh, how about in the public sector, right? Um, are different groups representing the public sector? Are their voices being heard? How about in the economy? Um, also, people looking at, you know, the role of international organizations, they look at social entrepreneurship. So different ways that we provide opportunities and access for different groups of the people. So I think that to me is one very important question that we'll all continue to address um, in the future. So how do we incorporate different groups and different communities um, for inclusive development in a changing economy? Thaddeus, it's an understatement to say that your discipline is sort of front and center of of many things going on in the world right now. Um, where do you see your research or research in criminal justice? Where does it need to go? What would you advise? Uh, so two things. You know, I think we need to start thinking about policing in the context of governance and how it's situated. Uh, I think we have to also be mindful of 
technology, artificial intelligence and surveillance, right? You know, smart cities, right? How many people now uh, think about it with surveillance? Everyone has a ring or nest camera, right? Everyone has a cell phone. Our police officers are wearing body cameras. We're always being surveilled. Our images are always potentially always being processed uh, with automated facial recognition technology. So oftentimes we look at technology as being the panacea to inequities, panacea to ineffectiveness. But we, I, I often in the research and, and in our classroom try to tell students that technologies are birthed and used uh, within structures that are inequitable, right? And so uh, if we don't use these innovations responsibly, we can exacerbate a lot of disparities that we see. Uh, for instance, facial recognition technology. Uh, there are issues with image processing of black faces, right? There's less accurate in identifying those things. And when you deploy and you start talking about, well, how are police deployed? We need to start thinking about how do we get here? Structural inequities kind of dictate where go. So really it's a systems-based approach of understanding of how all things are situated in governance, how they all work together and how we move forward. Uh, I don't ever think that we'll get over the police shortage with recruitment, right? And if we're moving toward more smart police and smart cities, we have to recruit different people. We have to recruit differently, right? Uh, so we're building this based on our current theories, our current learning. But what we're understanding is we have to shape policies, training, vision, in order to, to provide guardrails for all the discretion that we have in governance uh, to ensure that these algorithms, which in, and understand that inequities are not on purpose. Uh, sometimes if you have uh, uh, white males who are uh, the, the, the main segment of computer programmers and creating algorithms, and then they're used disproportionately in places, databases don't match up with the pictures, you have all these things that don't align and that you, you can have inequities exacerbated in our society and it's not on purpose. And so trying to relate to the students, trying to relate to the public, how all these things are connected. And even when we do our studies, we have to contextualize things so we can better understand how our models equate to real life. And so for me, uh, I see that. I see what is in policing. We're gonna turn to our technology and it can be used in the right way, but if we continue with the status quo, uh, and don't have that in mind and get ahead of it, uh, we may see more issues when it comes to outcomes for black, black people and poor people. Yeah, and, and you know, in that vein, Thaddeus, I want to give you a shout out in particular for working with Elizabeth Beck in the School of Social Work to develop a, a course that, that bridges criminal justice and, and social work, which I think is, a, is important to some of the issues that you raised about governance and, and what policing looks like in the future. All of you have, you, you're doing such interesting work and it, it affects many different areas of policy. But I wonder, in your opinion, in your area, are there one or two policy leaders that you think we should be specifically listening to or listening a little bit harder to at the local level, at the national level, the international level, um, or or institutions that we should be paying more attention to? Kathy, can I ask you to, to start us on that? Yeah, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I, I would say um, there are actually some, I don't know if we call it call uh, policy pioneers, but uh, or kind of policy um, groups out there who are being very forward looking and who are, um, you know, doing a lot of good work to inform policy. The one organization um, that come to mind that I read their, their, their information quite a bit is the Brookings Institute. Um, 
I mean, they have various research programs, um, but they have adopted, I think, a quite um, a quite evidence-based research. I mean, they provide a lot of data, provide very good analysis, but also thinking very proactively about the agents and the institutions um, that can form those changes. For example, their uh, metropolitan policy program have for a long time tackled the various issues of, you know, what we actually have been discussing, right? Um, What are some of the population changes in cities? What are some of the economic and labor market changes in cities? How about uh, technology? And what about the fiscal base? So they have really looked at different um, aspects of it. And they have adopted a really kind of a metropolitan based approach to handle some of the issues, which is quite different from the reality where each city and the locality um, formulate their policies and um, and come up with, with solutions. I think they have been advocating for holistic metropolitan level, regional level approach to tackle many of the, what we, we call the, the tricky questions, right? For example, if we think about pollution, if we think about transportation, if we think about things like immigration settlement and refugee settlement, I mean, these, th- these things are hard to be handled at the one city or one county's level. Um, and that's probably why it has been so hard for Atlanta to have its MARTA um, expanded because each city and each county has its own tax base and have their own interests um, in the case. So they, I, I really, I think I um, have been looking at their approach on how the metropolitan level and the regional level approach can be helpful for some of the important policy questions um, that we that we need to look at these days. So, so that, for example, is, is one agency I think is providing some very good research. Yeah, they do some great stuff. But it is true that uh, policy is pretty messy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all have hard jobs, I think. Thaddeus, how about in the work that you do? Are there policy leaders we should um, be paying attention to or, again, institutions? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. And I think it's institutions. And, and, and let me say I may be a little bit biased because I work with this group. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty stingy with my time, right? And so uh, one reason that even willing to be involved and kind of consult and collaborate is the fact that they are a nonpartisan group. And one thing I'm finding in policy in general, but particularly criminal justice policy and, and policing policy, a lot of emotion uh, and a lot of political skin uh, and, 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 and posturing. And so to be part of a group where you have uh, people who are both practitioners, who are leaders, who are top scholars, uh, or, or what have you, uh, to put those aspects aside, right? We, we actually did a police task force and uh, we had people who could be the most farthest of right and even founders of the Black Lives Matters movement sitting on the task force together to come up with solutions uh, for the community. Uh, so not only do we involve experts, but people who live these lives, right? And so I, I thought that giving people a voice who live in these communities, giving the people a voice who are survivors of these inequities uh, and, 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 and have some insight provide them the opportunity to, to speak to task force, to write, to, to insight, uh, to, to, make, to bring real life and our, and our statistical models together. Uh, you know, I think those, and that's just one of many groups, but I think those are the types of groups that we involve the community and, and, and co-produce these solutions uh, and, and finding evidence-based research. And one thing in policing and criminal justice, unfortunately, um, there's a lot more to be done when it comes to policy evaluation, having evidence, uh, good solid evidence. And also when we have the evidence, uh, movement from academe and, poly- and, and, and research tables into the actual public fold. 
And so uh, that's one of the institutions and, 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 and think tanks that actually try to bridge that gap uh, public technology. Right, uh, and, and, and where, where, where science is not to be held in the hands of the few, but evidence is, is supposed to be understood and and, 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 and so that's kind of the uh, the mantra. And so that Council on Criminal Justice and other places like that, Brookings is another good one, actually have that mindset and those philosophies. I think that's uh, where, where policy is the public effect uh, change. I would. Yeah, lot, lots of good work going on with those those groups as well. Jan, how about your perspective? Yeah, it is it is a interesting but a difficult question. You know, there are so many people to watch. Uh, if 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 you ask, you know, who are the most influential scholars to keep an eye on uh, who influence policy? People that come to mind, and then you, uh, well, one is uh, say Edward Glazer, an economist, right? Uh, another one uh, would be Saskia Sassen. A sociologist, and another one would be Richard Florida, who is a, a geographer by training, and it sort of reflects the very interdisciplinary field of urban studies. But you know, when I when I mention these names, I also immediately think think I think they're influential. But some people might not want them to be as influential as they are. You know, they're quite controversial, and obviously uh, questions about you know what what directions cities are going or should be going becomes immediately a very political thing. So so each of these uh, scholars also, uh, they're, they're also controversial for the things that they say. If you say, well, which practitioners do I think have been influential, um, then often it's, you know, at, at the local scale. Um, and somebody who comes to mind for me at the, at the regional level is Doug Hooker of, of ARC. Who I think you know, whose, whose views on the Atlanta region are widely respected, uh, certainly by me also, and uh, we have enjoyed working him uh, with the Urban Studies Institute. He's retiring soon, but I think he, he's the kind of person who's been important because he actually didn't hold the political office, and he wasn't a scholar, but he was very much engaged with the issues facing the region, a very fragmented region, as we all know, with lots of different uh, political configurations in it that make it very complex. Now, among politicians. There are some politicians who are influential. Sometimes they're too busy with politics and they don't get around to policy. Uh, but one that I think is really important to us locally is uh, Stacey Abrams. She has an, a political agenda uh, that is also a policy agenda. You know, and, and I think uh, she's definitely somebody to follow. And I know many of us already follow her. So there's different kinds of people. Another one that comes to mind, by the way, interesting for us, is Carolyn Bordeaux. What is she going to be doing to influence policy in the House of Representatives? Right? Of course, she was and, and still is a member of the, the Andrew Young uh, family, if you will. And, and she has very interesting and, and good insight into the challenges that we face in, in the Atlanta region. So she too is somebody of interest to follow. Thank you all for giving me a few more people and things to, to look, look forward to and, and research myself. We, Andrew Young School has been here now for 25 years, and that's what we're celebrating. If you can think forward the next 25 years and kind of reflect on your policy area, um, but also your, your teaching and the students around you, how will things be different 25 years from now, either in terms of research methodology, research topics, students, teaching? Pick one of those and, and give me your crystal ball as to what that looks like 25 years from now. And Jan, I'm going to pick on you first. Uh 
Yeah, that's, of course, you know, this is a conjecture to, to some extent. Uh, I think Kathy touched on some of these issues, and Thaddeus also, in terms of uh, technological development. I, I think that's, that's clear. It, it, I think it is very clear that things will move very quickly, that society will change very, continue to change very quickly, because we're, it's not like we're at the end of this technolo technology revolution. You know, this is ongoing, and it could, could even just continue to accelerate for some time to come. I think the the issue of our artificial intelligence, uh, as, as was mentioned, is going to be very important, take us to levels difficult to imagine today. And certainly in terms of the future of work, uh, well, it, where it will have a host of effects on different population groups also, so it has immediate social repercussions, and also on the organization and governance of metropolitan areas, you know. So, so how we govern cities and metropolitan areas will be very much affected by these ongoing technological developments. The second issue that comes to mind is quite different, uh, but, you know, so about 25 years from now, 25 years, you say, uh, global sea levels will probably have risen by about a foot, and the direct and indirect impact on coastal cities around the world will be enormous. Not because they're necessarily all underwater, but they will be affected in a way that, you know, through insurance, through mortgages and, and all these kinds of things that it will be, I think it will be really enormous. And, and it will be, it could be particularly shocking to the system in the because we're not doing anything today. And so there's sort of a wait and see. And it's very interesting if you look at the real estate markets, how they're moving in these areas. It's like nothing is happening. Risa Palm has done really interesting work on this, for example, in, in the Institute. And since nobody, since the market is not gradually adjusting, it'll probably come with shocks at a later stage. And it will demand our attention. And it will demand fixes and policies and not just sort of the immediate repairs that need to be done after a storm, but a reconfiguration of cities, maybe maybe very substantial migration of people to other parts of the country. So it, it will, whether we want it or not, it, it looks like it's going to be there for us to face. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's, it's daunting. But for my area of, of public finance, there's huge implications of that for Oh, yeah. you know, the, the finances of, of government. Yeah. Thaddeus, what are your, your thoughts if you look in that crystal ball? As much as I, I, I want to talk to the research, and but I think it's, I kind of focus on the classroom and maybe even what that means to me, means to me as a, you know, being an academic, you know, maybe about five years from now, right? Um, I think that we're going to have to pay a lot more attention to the technical, uh, technological divide uh, that we have. You know, it's been the wage gap and all these things. But I think that's a big issue, particularly because COVID, Kind of fast forward things, right? You know, I think AYS, the university, a lot of other places are already moving toward you know, more more holistic on online learning, a bigger online presence. Um, but I think what COVID did was to show that we could do, we could govern and we can do research, collaborate using online. And some some capacities that may require less overhead, right? So I, I think if we don't make sure that we shore up in rural areas, uh, we don't have policies and laws to make sure that uh, urban areas. Uh, that they are are at least on an even equitable playing field when it comes to technological uh, opportunities and accessibility, that a lot of the gaps that we see now will be exacerbated 25 years from now. Uh, so that's in, in, in society. As far as in the classroom, uh, I see online learning only growing and blossoming more. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if 25 years from now when we're recruiting senior track professors. That they may not even have to be in the city where the place is, right? That may be frightening to a lot of leaders, right, at the school, but I kind of think to be even competitive 
that that may be how things are going, right? Uh, and, and people who have that technological savvy may have advantages. And so uh, it's just just kind of interesting to see how things would change because things are changing so fast. And I started thinking about, you know, as scholars, we may have to start uh, writing more uh, opinion pieces because news is happening so fast. And we know the peer review process can take long and long. And so six months after you have something in there, that may be stale news because things are moving so fast because of technology, globalization, and access. So I think that we would see even changes in the peer review process of how we as scholars do science and, and publish and where we publish our works. So uh, those are some of the things that I think we, I guess, look forward to <laughs> 25 years from now. Uh, but that, that may be some of the things that may uh, we may have to deal with. And, and, and right now we have our those are those are um, big big changes to look forward to. But I can say with much certainty that 25 years from now I will not be teaching, so <laughs> I can avoid some of that. <laughs> I should write that down and see if it's true. Kathy, how about your perspective? Well, now I start to think what else do we be teaching or not. <laughs> um, I think I think a big trend um, I, that's that's already happening and probably still going to happen uh, or even faster is that we, I think we're not as confined to disciplines and theories necessarily. Uh, in other words, I think that we will advance theories as we adapt to new realities, because the new realities happen so fast, and usually they transcend boundaries, that it's very hard to just use one theory or one perspective or one toolbox to sufficiently um, handle it. So I just feel that the field will become more problem-driven, that we will find policy solutions with all the knowledge base we can find and with all the available tools. So I think that will have fundamental um, implication for both classroom teaching and our research, right? How do we teach our students, right? What theories do we still still pick and, and, and teach them? And, and are these theories, are these tools the right skills for them to handle real-world problems? Or is there any disconnect? Or is there any mismatches that, that we're not really making that linkages? So I think that's a, that's a big question mark for the next 25 years. Because if we think about public policy, it has always been, but increasingly, we can see that perspectives and methods from, say, computer science, from public health, sociology, right, urban planning, engineering, um, so on and so forth, they can be utilized to formulate evidence for policy evaluation and offer policy recommendation. Um, I mean, the recent pandemic really shows us that, that we just need to, you know, uh, utilize all that we can. And because the questions become so complicated and um, and it's so interconnected to all different areas that uh, it's very hard to use just one mindset to do all of that. So I think that is a big, big change. But how do we adapt to that change? It's still kind of up to us to decide what do we teach and how do we do research. I can see the college probably also bridging more boundaries, maybe across the departments, and that it both in terms of teaching and research, or in terms of faculty members collaborate on certain policy questions. And even teaching, I mean, some of our recent classes 
uh, new classes, for example, one class that was a special topic and now will become a, a, a permanent course called Race and Public Policy. I mean, it is really touches on many different policy areas, and it's not just confined to the department, the same as managing diversity, right? I mean, that's certainly an area I think will be wide appeal, things like data analytics and R and things like that. So I, I think that um, the big question for us is to make those linkages, both in research and in the classroom for the students so that they are ready for um, for the future. So a real academic melting pot. <laughs> And just continues. Um, And and Kathy, your last statement there is a nice segue to to this question that I have for you all. You know, our our most important job in business is educating students at the undergraduate and graduate level, um, where we really are putting out the future policymakers at all levels of of government, in the nonprofit sector, but also in, in private business as well. When you send your students forward these days... What sort of advice do you give them in terms of, you know, their, their future aspirations, success on, on their job, wherever it might be? Do you give them one or two nuggets or do you just sort of say, here, go? <laughs> Daddy, yes, you have a big smile, so I'm going to pick on you first. And you're, you're, closest, you're closest to this as well. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, you know, that's, that's a great question. We, you know, we often wrestle with that because we want to make sure that our students are trained for the realities of the professional world, right? So oftentimes when leaving forward, I'm just honest with them, right? You know, that the jobs you get coming out right now is, is not the end-all, be-all, but understand that this is a process to get to what you want. I talked to them about making goals, right? Once you enter a profession, if you don't have short-term, mid-term, long-term goals, and if you don't reevaluate and revisit those, uh, and, and, and don't be afraid to, to, to erase that and, and create new ones, that you'll kind of find yourself somewhere 20, 30 years and uh, you may not have accomplished anything you wanted to accomplish. Or uh, So make sure that you plan and that you take control of the reins in your in your life and don't just allow life to play itself out for you, right? Uh, I also told them that you made an investment into your education, right? And so don't give away this knowledge, right? You made an investment in it and you have to look at yourself as an investment, and understand that you have knowledge that everyone doesn't have and that you need to market that. I really teach them about, you know, just ethics, but also marketing and taking advantage of the, the opportunities they are given, how to build relationships. I think I had to learn, right? That's a focus on objectives, but know that uh, I, I expect you all to be leaders. And the great thing about a leader is building those relationships that, that will uh, be great for you throughout your career. And those are the some that's that. It's, it's, it's nice to hear that uh, people and relationships will continue to be important in your, in your view of the future. Kathy, how about, how about uh, what you would tell these students going out? Yeah, um, I think uh, maybe two things. One is that I, I really want our students to have a global perspective. Um, I, I think that it just it's so, uh, it's so important to be open-minded to new ideas, to new thoughts, um, new cultures, new environments. I think having a that kind of a global perspective and open mind will really help our students to understand the world because the world is becoming increasingly interconnected and 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 changing uh, in many different ways. At the same time, um, I will I hope our student will our students will be hands on. 
Um, the question there is that we're just so overwhelmed these days by all sorts of information, right? By the media, by the internet, um, and so many success stories. Uh, people are leaders, people who are entrepreneurs, and people who become famous overnight. That I think sometimes people uh, students would think that it is very easy <laughs> to uh, to do things out there and lose sight of the importance of just doing small and concrete things on a daily basis. So I think that um, think big, but also aim at small steps. And that's how we get to where we want to be. Um, so those are the two things. That's great. Yeah. I guess not everybody goes viral on TikTok or YouTube. Or <laughs> that, is, that is hard because, I mean, sometimes so I look at my kids, I wonder, where, where, what will they be when they grow up? Is everybody going to be a YouTuber? <laughs> That's a good question. And got a thousand fans or more, right? <laughs> and Jan, how about you? What, what's your advice as the students go out the door? Well, uh, I'm glad to hear that we do not give conflicting advice to our students, different faculty, because I completely agree with what's, uh, what's been said. Yeah, I think it's a fine balance between, you know, being dedicated to and, and paying attention to the local scene and local communities and what the needs are and keeping an eye on the global landscape. That's, that, that is really important because in the long run, uh, all these issues that are playing out elsewhere will come here too in our backyard, whether it's migration or climate change or, or whatever, or trade disputes, uh, you know, all these things will come to our doorstep in, in the long run. So that's really important. I think that's important for us also in terms of how we put together our curriculum and, and prepare the students, right? Uh, and, and the other thing that is really important goes to this, and, and I think uh, it, I alluded also to it, Kathy and, uh, and Thaddeus, sort of to foster an adaptable mind. You know, we've, we've talked earlier about all these changes that will lie ahead. The workforce will change, jobs will change, what people will be doing changes. And that means, you know, you have to, you're not done when you get your diploma. You will have to continue to develop yourself and just be very aware of that. And that, that means continue developing yourself in terms of skill sets and in on substantive issues, but certainly also the skills, because we don't know exactly what kind of problems they will be solving 20 years from now. And they need that, that kind of adaptability, and, and we have to try to instill that in the students, I believe. Great advice from, from all of you. We're almost at, at the end of our time together. And before I, I ask you one more question, I want to um, thank you for giving us your time here today. And this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I learned so much from my colleagues every time we, we meet, but in this particular format, this, this has been really a lot of fun for me. So thanks again for, for being with us. My last question, which I am asking kind of as a favor from you guys, if you can think of one piece of advice that you would give to the college, either for me or for the next dean, and I hope that's not for a long time, <laughs> but one, one piece of advice, what, what, what would it be? And Jan, I'm going to pick on you first this time. Well, I think uh, even more than we have done in the very, in very recent years is facilitate interdisciplinarity and a shared focus on major themes, because that will keep us all flexible and adapting to new situations in research and, and in teaching. It, it creates new synergies, new efficiencies too, 
uh, and it broadens everybody's horizons. And I really like it. <laughs> That's why I would give that advice, this emphasis on interdisciplinary. I think we're heading in that direction, certainly. And that's just really important into the future. Great. Thaddeus? Yeah, I have to, I don't know if I'm piggybacking dovetail or just straight out plagiarizing. I'm not sure right now. I'm going to totally concur with everything you just said. And, 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 what, I, and what I mean is, is that continue to think big, right? Continue to not be afraid to broach difficult conversations, i.e., you know, uh, I'll share with you all, you know, Dr. Wallace after after uh, all the events with George Floyd, you know, the one email I got was, you know, wouldn't it be great if we were the leaders of compassionate justice, governance, and leadership and policing? And so creating classes that allow the, the professors to be innovative, to bring their personal stories to, uh, because those things are important. Academia and evidence base is important, but it's the personal element I think really connects. And I think that we should make sure that no matter how we look at technology, artificial intelligence, no matter how we expand, that we continue to keep that. I feel like even though as big as we are as a school, we're still small because of the word again, relationships, right? And and, and I, and I want to keep emphasizing that point about relationships because the more technology is involved, the more we'll be pulled apart. So I think it's important uh, that we continue that sort of collaboration. And so not just encouraging uh, interdisciplinary work, but as has been going on since I've been here, incentivizing that type of work. And I think that's where the answer is at. When we get out of those silos and we just start bouncing these great ideas against the wall, that's where we get real answers. And, and when you ask the question about, you know, who are some of the great policy leaders and to look out for, you know, I consider all my colleagues uh, to, to have many of the answers that, uh, that others have come up with and those beyond that. So I think to allow us the opportunity to continue to engage and to learn from each other and iron and sharpening iron, I think, out of this big profound thing, but I think it's working. And I think that it will continue to be benefits as long as we continue to move in, in, in that aspect. Kathy, you get to have the last word. Yeah, thanks, uh, Sally. This has been a, a very, very interesting, very fun conversation. Um, I think the college is already very forward-looking. Um, I think has been incorporating diverse perspectives. It has been promoting, you know, policy analytics, uh, focusing on student success. I think it's certainly doing all the right things. Uh, what I can see more is probably greater engagement and partnerships with the community. Uh, with other organizations and maybe even internationally. I think this way uh, we better translate some of our research into real-world impact, but they can also make make some very good formal opportunities for the students as well. I think we have certainly have a very good reputation in the U.S. already, uh, but I feel like there might be uh, some room to grow also internationally. So I think th these kind of engagements and, and partnerships will, will potentially put the, the school into even stronger position. Again, th thank you all. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to your experiences and to your advice and to your, your, your thoughts of the future. And I can't help but believe that the um, folks who gave birth to the Andrew Young School, you know, Ambassador Young, Roy Ball, Dave Shokwis, Sam Skogstad, and others would just be so proud to see you as leaders of this, this incredible institution. Um, and we're going to be very happy to share this podcast as well as the others that we're doing in celebration of our, our 25th anniversary. So again, thank you all very much. Um, it really means a lot to me and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this morning. 
The Andrew Young School podcast is produced and edited by me, Taylor Olmsted, with production assistance on this episode from Jennifer Giratano. Our executive producer is Ivani Raval. We are a production of Georgia State University's Andrew Young School of Policy Studies, located in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. To learn more about the Andrew Young School, visit us online at aysps.gsu.edu or follow us on social media at aysps.gsu. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to leave a review for us in your podcast app of choice. And we'll be back next month interviewing another policy thought leader from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University.